Welcome back to the Dungeon Master's Block, the place where we focus on the Dungeon Master, the most important person in the game, the only person capable of playing God, killing characters, and lowering the ego of all of the other people at the table. I'm one of your hosts, DM Neil, aka Joke Maniac. And I'm DM Mitch. So today we're talking about one of our favorite topics that I feel like gets into every episode at least a little bit, and that is homebrewing. Especially DMnastics, let's yes, be honest. true. And so we're taking a deeper dive into homebrewing, and today we're going to have T.C. Sodic, the managing editor of The Verge, with us today. And I think it is a great episode full of information for you to listen to. But before that, we're going to do some iTunes reviews. All of these following reviews come from the great country of Canada. And the first one comes from Pass It Along and is entitled For Game Masters of Every Level. Great guests, good conversation, awesome ideas. This show is a must listen for anyone currently running a campaign or looking to run one in the future. Thank you so much for that awesome review. Pass it along. Yes, thank you. Yeah, and hopefully you pass it along to your friends and tell them to listen to the podcast. Mm. And I'm blown away that you did not steal the joy that I will now have in saying this title <laughs> or this person's so name. And the next review comes from Darth Magikarp. And it's a five-star review, in my opinion, just because of that. But they entitled it. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> there needs to be some fan art. Of Darth Magikarp. That would be amazing. Oh, it's taking everything in me not to start looking for that right now. I can almost imagine it being super dangerous because you have a Magikarp using Splash with a lightsaber in his hand, and he's doing so much damage with the lightsaber, but it's like all random wherever he splashes. <gasps> Someone has a tattoo of it. It's literally the first image I found on the internet. Uh, oh my gosh. Amazing. Maybe it is the person who wrote in I, Darth Magikarp. If it's not Darth Magikarp, get that tattoo. I can only hope. And they wrote uh, the review entitled Just Good. Found the cast a while ago. Binging it. Lots of good inspiration and advice. Cheers, guys. Done. Perfect. Cheers right back to you, Darth Magikarp. And our last one is from Biltish, and it's titled... I'm talking about dot dot dot. I was talking about looking for a podcast to help me as a new DM. Then we were talking about finding this one. I don't understand what this is saying. <laughs> so we are going to talk about how I am in deep now. Now let's talk about how I have a lot of content to go through. And then I'll talk about how I am loving it in a later review. We talked about how I do though. Thanks and keep it up. All right, that was a review. Thanks, Biltish. Super appreciated. Oh, what is happening? Why do these exist? Mitch, I'm going to change your life. What are you looking at? Change Darth Magikarp, what do you think I'm looking at? <laughs> now, that's the, now that's the blooper. <laughs> what are you looking at? Darth Magikarp. And with all that out of the way, let's head to the meat. I'm starving. We ain't had nothing but maggoty bread for three stinking days. Why can't we have some meats? The flat meat back on the menu, boys. Welcome to another segment of The Meat. Today, we are joined by T.C. Sodic, managing editor of The Verge and the creator of the upcoming Quest RPG. T.C., welcome to the Dungeon Master's Block. Hey, Mitch. Hey, Neil. Thanks a lot for having me. 
Yeah, of course. We have a very open-ended question to start our interview process, and that is, tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, for sure. As you said, I'm, the, I'm an editor at The Verge, which is an uh, online magazine covering the intersection of science and technology. I've been doing that for about seven years now, since before we launched, and it's been a, been a total blast. I'm a gamer. I've been playing games since my dad brought home an IBM-compatible <laughs> computer in the 90s. Started climbing Treasure Mountain, playing Heroes Quest, nice. uh, and ever since then I've been totally hooked on fantasy stuff. This is the Dungeon Masters block, and I w- must admit, um, actually, I only started playing tabletop role-playing games about four and a half years ago. Oh, <laughs> you're good. And it happened because of my my job, Wizards of the Coast, one of the perks, uh, they sent us an early preview of 5th edition um, before it came out. My colleague and friend, Dieter Bone dropped it on my desk and said, hey, I think you'd be interested in this. As soon as I picked it up, I was up until 2 a.m. reading the whole thing and then reading all about Dungeons and & Dragons. And it, it was just incredible. It's like everything that I loved about EverQuest and other fantasy games, but something that was completely op- open-ended, more personal, more intimate. More options. Yeah, more options. Any options, yeah. Yeah, the, the, the possibilities are limitless, really, truly limitless. There's like a moment in Dungeons & Dragons or any game like this, right, where you something clicks in your head and you realize that anything is possible. Mm-hmm. And that's the moment that I think you get hooked forever on these kind of games. Anyway, fast forward a few years later, I work on the game called quest. Uh, we're calling it the role playing game for everyone, which sounds like a big sell, but <laughs> it's really an ideal that uh, we're striving toward when we're designing this thing, me and my editor. Um, this is a project where I really wanted to distill what I know about tabletop RPGs and games in general, into something that focuses on the parts that really, surprise and delight while getting rid of a lot of the crunchy parts of traditional games that kind of don't really advance the story, um, in my opinion. So Quest is, you know, what I'm working on right now. It's going to be launching on Kickstarter on June 5th. And I'll I'll just say, you know, this thing is written very conversationally. My rule for writing this book was, is this how I'd want to explain the thing to someone I just met in a bar? Hmm. The goal was to make something that people could pick up who have never done anything like this before and in about 15 minutes of reading understand the basics of tabletop role-playing and what it's all about. That's what I'm working on. Fantastic. <laughs> you created and are creating a whole homebrew system, which is what we're here to talk about today. And it, you can really hear the thought process behind all of that and the work that's gone into all of that. So, Neil, you have a surprise question, I believe, for TC. I do. And I feel like this is applicable to the topic. <laughs> so this is from Galakan, one of our Silver Dragon Patreon members. And they asked, is there a particular book, movie, or TV show that kickstarted a creative moment for you? If so, which one? Hi, Gallican. I will be honest with you. I sleep next to a stack of uh, adventure books from Wizards of the Coast. <laughs> you know, before bed, I'll look at the Game Master's Manual. I'll look at the Player's Handbook. Um, I'll look, what am I reading? The Monster Manual. Yeah. I will say the, my favorite um, book that I read recently was the Curse of Strahd adventure. Mm. It's almost its own complete. It's its own contained universe and game, right? Like D and D is powers it, but you could have given me that book and I would have said, "This is an amazing game." Not knowing anything about D and D, this is an amazing story, amazing world. Yeah. And they say that in the introduction of the book, they say, "You know, I think I don't remember who uh, who created it, but they said, you know, the, my first experience playing D and D was doing this dungeon run, and in a one random room there was this vampire." And it made no sense for this vampire to be in this room. Like, I wanted to know what his backstory was. I wanted to know what his motivations were. I wanted to know why he was here and not in some castle in some faraway land with rich with meaning. 
Um, and I think that really opened my eyes to hmm. what the purpose of this kind of game is. Um, and it's just to tell a story, right? Like that's all the rules of a game like D&D or Dungeon World or Apocalypse World games. Any game like this, that all, all the rules are supposed to do is help you tell a story. Um, so that was pretty illuminating for me and inspiring. Thanks, Galkin, for that question, and thank you, TC, for that answer. So let's start talking about what we came here to talk about today, homebrewing content. And let's start off at the beginning with some discussion on, like, when and how do you begin homebrewing content? Now, this can be, I mean, TC, you're working on a whole system, but for the listeners out there, for the GMs, for the DMs out there, like you might just want to start with some weapons. You might want to start with some items, some monsters, uh, some races, some classes. Uh, How do you start and when do you start? I know all three of us here have worked on homebrew content before. Uh, Neil, you're very heavy into it with the forums. You're constantly throwing out exercises. TC, you're making a whole system. I love to do it in my spare time. When is the time to start homebrewing content? That's a good question. But TC, you already have the answer. (laughs) (laughs) It's exactly why you started making Quest RPG. That's true. Um, But let me zoom out for a second because I think that's a philosophical question as well. Um, Yeah, yeah. I, I think... You know, one one thing I noticed. First of all, Dungeons and Dragons is my favorite game of all time. Mm. I you're in good company. I haven't been playing it as long as other people, but it really unlocked something that I thought was mm. special and meaningful. Um, and the first thing I noticed when I started playing it is that I wanted to break everything. Hmm. Um, some rules just seemed annoying. Some parts of it were awesome. Um, oh, I mean, there was just a flood of information all at once about this entire universe of possibility. So, of course, as the, f- the first thing I decided to do as a first-time Dungeon Master was recruit two groups of players and create an entire, entirely original world and story for 10 people, which was insane. Nobody should do that. <laughs> don't be like me. Start small with a small group of people uh, and don't build your own entire world. Um, but anyway, I was up late every night world building as soon as I got this book. I went down some super deep holes. Um, one night I spent five hours on Etsy looking at wax ceiling stamps because I decided <laughs> I wanted to surprise my players with physical props. Um, the way I invited them to the game was by leaving them handwritten wax sealed letters on their desks at work. I mean, I don't think every, anybody needs to be as crazy as I am, but I think realistically everyone who decides to become a game master or a dungeon master begins homebrewing in the first session. Uh, and that's because the job of the DM is to be a storyteller. Um, but what that really means is that they're a game designer because the game is just a way to tell a story. And the story is how you play the game. And because there's so much responsibility and possibility there, I think the vast majority of GMs and DMs immediately make the game their own somehow. Whether it's coming up with a house rule because nobody knows how something works or because you decide you don't like one of the game's rules or you just want to do something different. Um, you know, I've spoken to a lot of tabletop players in the past few years, um, and I can't remember one person who said they play or run a game 100% according to the rules as written. So I think the question is not, you know, yes, when it's not when to get started homebrewing because I have a hunch that 99% of people are doing it as soon as they start the game. Something like the D&D Player's Guide is like a Bible, and of course there are Andrus interpretations of that and people pick and choose what they want. That's awesome. That's funny. I haven't thought about it in that sense before with, as you said, like when a DM is like making a call to like, oh, I don't know. I don't know this rule. Let's do this. They might be doing that in the sense of, I just don't know it. And they're, they're just trying to make a call to get the game moving, but they are in that 
in that moment, they are homebrewing a rule for their game. And who knows? Maybe they're going to analyze it after the game and go, ah, the official rule is better. But maybe they land and say, no, I, I like this rule. If you ever played D&D 3.5, what DM didn't homebrew grapple rules? Because grapple rules were awful in 3.5. It was like five pages. Neil, I'm really interested to hear when you kind of started homebrewing because you're the... You're the one who's been playing RPGs the longest here. You're like, it's since you were in diapers, right? <laughs> yes. That's more awkward because of how long I wore diapers, not when I started <laughs> playing D&D. No. Uh, yes. You kind of broke my brain with the homebrew as well. Because anecdotally, I started with people that were playing second edition. So that the, w- the way that critical damage was calculated, you didn't add the bonus again. So I went essentially for 20 years with that being the case <laughs> and someone else came to the table and was like, well, no, in, in Pathfinder, that's what you do. And I was essentially like ready to flip a table. Like, that's not what you do. You are and wrong. So we like, we go to the books and I'm like, this is definitely what you do. Um, okay. That's enough to start a religious war. Yeah. Oh, it's, gosh. he died. Um, no, <laughs> his character died. Did it? I think it did. That's beside the point. But I think for me, and I think it it follows pretty closely to what TC said, no matter how closely I would want to keep to the material, the second I started interacting with the players, things started to change. Mm -hmm. Because the ideas that they come to the table with of, oh, well, I want my character to be this. I want the, the game to look like this. No matter what you have ready to go you need to start adapting it because you want to make what the players want to play in just as much as they want to play in the world that you've created so for me that's where it started was looking at actually like different races or different how to tweak a class so that the person could get their idea out so it was actually for me homebrewing starting with what the players wanted i would kind of agree with both of what you guys are saying and just point out too that if you if you keep on holding back and trying not to start because you're afraid of messing up and not creating a monster in the right way or creating an item and not doing it like like TC was kind of saying like buy like the official handbook and like holding to like oh that's the bible of D&D if i mess up anything like i i can't mess up anything you need to start somewhere you may create your first monster, and let's be honest, it may be terrible as far as it concerns <laughs> like the official rules, but the most important thing is that it works in your game, and maybe it won't even do that, but you have to start, and you have to start trying somewhere, and the more that you do that, the better you're going to get. Yeah, I think maybe this is the point where we can kind of shift gears and start talking about like if we have any tips for beginners who are starting to do this, like what are ways to make this process easier? And I would say like, I, I think my mind always goes to monsters because that's the thing that I homebrew the most and I find the most fun to create. But I would just say you need to start small. Like what's the most important things when it comes to a monster? It's the AC, it's the hit points, and how much damage do they do? You can create a homebrew monster like in a couple seconds, just by like writing down those couple of things, if you need like a boss fight for your 
for your PCs. They they took a different way down the dungeon. They figured out something. They opened this door that you were not expecting them to go to. You hadn't had it planned. You need something right then and there. Start homebrew creating. And then you can kind of flesh that out as you go. I would actually argue those things that you just mentioned are the last step in creating a creature. Hmm. Like those are the last things you should think about. I think the first thing you should think about when you're making anything for your rule or for your world is why is it here? Um, every every item, every creature, every person, every cup, t- plate, fork in your world um, should have a reason to be where they are. And I think when you start there, when you think about how something came to be in the world, what its place is, how it affects the environment around them, um, considering how people in your world, how the players might think about the thing that you're putting in there, I think once you think about those things, the crunchy stuff follows from that, and it's easy to do, right? Um, if you're creating uh, a hill giant and you give it a little bit of a backstory, a reason to exist, some motivations, you think about what it cares about and why it, it is where it is. Um, yes, the AC, the hit points, and everything are important, but I think when you start from where I just – from the th- from the, the believability and the purpose area, you automatically set up that thing to have more meaning and interaction in your world other than combat. I think, you know, I think for the AC, you know, for the challenge rating type stuff, the best resource you have is official materials, right? Like when I, when I built my own world for D and D, my original story, I compl- shamelessly ripped from ruins of Fandelver from uh, Rise of Tiamat, like uh, Princes of the Apocalypse. Like I just went through all their books and I looked at the encounters that they created and I just ripped the stuff out of there. I took creature stat blocks, I renamed them. Uh, I, I, you know, took entire encounters and kind of used them just as formats. I think that kind of mechanical stuff, there's so much out there that wizards and other players have already provided you with that it's pretty easy to just kind of take it and, f- and adapt it to your own. Hmm. But again, like I said, I think the big question is you need to come up with a reason why something is in your world. The difficulty in coming up with appropriate challenge rating for your players is real. I think it is difficult. Um, I will say, I just want to mention two rules that I have, you know, in the Game Master's Guide and Quest, I have rules, official rules that don't actually sound like rules. Um, but I think they apply to D and D equally to any uh, or you know any other tabletop role playing game. Uh, I call these the prime directives for the for the GM. Uh, one of them is be fair to yourself um, because it's a hard job, right? Like sometimes people aren't having fun. If the group doesn't seem to be working, you might assume it's your fault, uh, and that includes things like making things that are too challenging for the group or putting them in situations that seem like they can't win. Um, and you have to relax and realize it's fun it's a game it's a story you're telling together you are not obligated to do to to hurt your players or to ruin them um and so the second part of that is called the mercy rule which is if you are going to kill your players because you made something that's too powerful or too dangerous or too bad um you don't have to uh right like that's not your player's fault it's your fault but it's also you know it's not a big deal um the advantage that you have as the DM or the GM or whatever is that you control everything. You have all this private information that your players don't have. So you can change stuff on the fly. If your creature is too difficult, you know, have it 
knock the party out, but run away or steal their stuff, right? Like, usually the case is that most creatures in the world aren't completely bloodthirsty things, right? Like, they don't, you don't, you don't have to assume that everything in the world wants to kill you or wants to completely end end you as their objective in, in a fight uh, or in a conflict. Um, so there's lots of ways, like, you, you want to be thinking about, um, especially when you create in part of character creation, this is why... I said, you know, thinking about the creature's place in the world and its motivations and its goals is so important. Is like once you think about that stuff, you also naturally think of some ways to give your party outs. Kill them. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Neil, you were talking about um, in terms of responding to what your players want to do with homebrew, and I think that is like one of the number one sources of inspiration for making things in the world. Um, I think you know, getting down into specifics about how you actually make these things. I think the difficult thing to do is to create parts of the game in the story that are both fun and durable. And let me explain what I mean by durable. I think the best homebrew stuff or stuff that you can create in general for a type of game like this gives people the potential to use it in lots of different ways that aren't obvious at face value. Um, and when I'm designing something, I call this the one note joke rule. Uh, you rarely want to create something that can only be used in one way, and you especially don't want to create something that is very tempting to use all the time in that one specific way. Hmm. Um, like, for example, you could create a spell that's only effect is it makes people pee their pants. <laughs> but you better be prepared to have a story where that's the only thing that's happening if you give that to a player. True. If you think something like that is funny, like if you think of something like that that you want to be possible, the, I think the best advice I can give is to zoom out and think about how to give someone the possibility of doing it without telling them that they can or telling them how they can. And I think uh, you know, D&D's prestidigitation spell is a great example of that. You can combine various effects that don't explicitly tell you what to do. They just kind of unlock your imagination. Um, so when you're creating big things, general things like spells or abilities, you want to make sure you're trying to create something that has flavor and potential, but that doesn't risk being a one-note joke. I want to return to um, TC. You were saying that a good place to start is like figure out why the monster is there or the item is there, something along those lines. And I would say that another another tip I would have is taking something, and I think we've all been saying this is something we've done, is looking at something that's already created, whether it's an official thing or gaining inspiration from other people's homebrews. The thing is we don't, we're not encouraging stealing of those properties at all. Uh, what I would say is, especially for the official stuff, you can take something like an orc or a uh, beast or something along those lines, and you can create a modded version of it. And I think that question that you're saying, TC, of like, why is that thing here? Like, take this ogre uh, and say, okay, what what is the deal with this ogre? What is he doing in this area? And what does what changes with this creature in that makes its stats change? That makes its backstory change? And you can take a regular ogre and you can take it and say, well, this ogre is a forge, uh, a forger. And so let's yeah. give him some nice, some nice, awesome armor. Let's say that he's even dabbling with alchemy. Let's give him this awesome fire gun. What are the stats that then need to change for that? I know, Neil, this is like this whole idea of where does your creative process start? This is going to be different for everybody you with the gymnastics exercises you've gone through so many like different ways to <laughs> gain inspiration and start this i know a lot of a lot of the times neil your gymnastic exercises start with just here's an image 
let's create the backstory. Let's create the stats. Can you talk a little bit to like, to like that aspect of it, like the creative process and where do you start? Yeah. For, especially from an inspiration perspective, that's the easiest part, by the way. Um, there's inspiration <laughs> everywhere. You know, I mean, be when you it, get like, into the crunch, that's I mean, honestly, harder, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, honestly, Pinterest, it, I mean, I swore off it forever cause I was like, I don't need to know about no cupcakes. Uh, <laughs> but then I found out it's truly amazing. And I think, seeing something and almost feeling it. And I think this is the thing is like the homebrew start is almost a feeling of like, I can't not put this in my game hmm. for X reason. Like I see this monster, it needs to exist. And like you said, it could be a reskin of like, it's this big hulking creature that kind of looks like an ogre, but has these really long arms. Well, I'm just going to take an ogre and give it a 10 foot reach. And I think that's the other a great tool for homebrewing is to start with why is it different? TC, you mentioned hill giants. Well, what if I said, like, I really like giants because they're cool. Mm. I've got a party of all dwarves. They all do well against them. But my entire campaign is set in the desert. Well, then we have desert giants. <laughs> and their special move is that they, and this is what I immediately thought of, <laughs> is that they throw sand, which is terrifying yeah. to me. Instead of because now your players up. are blind. <laughs> Yeah, or like blinded, yeah. and maybe it's obscured, but they're used to it, so that you know your players have disadvantage, and the giants don't. But I think the other key thing about home brewing, and I love that you, you know, and essentially we all know we're our worst critics, but to try and keep in our mind not to be. But for home brewing, it's different. I think a lot of people will approach home brewing and think, okay, this is it needs to be at this expert level, completely balanced blah 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 but you're not selling it you're not putting it out there to be marketed if it's specifically for homebrewing so you can fine-tune whatever you homebrew to exactly what it needs to be for your world your players so if it's ramped up to 11 but that's because you gave all your players way too many magic items as neil raises his hand <laughs> the then that's fine like it's totally fine that it's ramped up that far because that's the world in the game you're playing. Mm. But I, so the other the other quick shout out for tools is to go to D&D Beyond, search for James Intracasso, friend of the show, and he has a whole series on how to build items specifically to be put on the guild and through D&D Beyond. But it's a good uh, it's a good exercise of a step by step process for most things in fifth edition. Mm. Or you could go to the struggle is dot com and <laughs> <no>. <laughs> which is. Yeah, which. Which I've been so I've been doing homebrew homebrew items there based off of album covers, and I've been very intentional about picking apart the different pieces of Dungeons and Dragons, and I think that's another good tip as a as someone who wants to homebrew is let's say you start with a sub race. So most recently, I made two sub races of Goblin. After that, start doing, even before you may need it, start branching out and doing the other pieces because it'll make you better at all of it. And it can also prepare you to say you want a monster and now you kind of have some practice and you've already made a few or you want a weapon or a magic item and you've already made a few. So definitely just, I would say, keep making stuff. The last tip that I would give for beginners is to... When you're creating homebrew content, because we're all kind of saying, hey, just get started. At it. You got to start somewhere. You may like stumble a little bit, but just get started. Everything that you create, make sure that you're saving an editable document 
of that homebrew mm-hmm. creature because just because it doesn't hold up to something that you make maybe a year later or two years later or whatever, that doesn't mean that the content isn't good and you can go back and you can edit it to when your levels rise of like, oh, I'm getting better at this, I'm getting better at this. Save it as an editable document so that you can go back and you make you can make changes easy. So before we move on, we're going to start talking about playtesting, but is there any other tools for homebrewing that we could throw out there for people who want to start doing this or who are already doing this and maybe don't know about these tools? Three things. One, just Google, right? Like hmm. type in homebrew D&D. You're going to see, you're going to come across forums, subreddits, websites, you know, lots of different, I mean, there's endless content on the internet where people are sharing homebrew items that they've made. Um giving backstories for their items, telling you how it worked at their tables. Uh, there's there's a ton of stuff. You'll you'll whether it's maps, items, spells, traps, any creatures, anything you can think of, people have made it already. Uh, and you should just go be inspired by them and and learn from them. Hmm. Um, but I'll say the best resource that you have available, the best tool is either a pen and paper paper or a Google Doc where you're writing down the private information that you have about your players, your game and your world. You should be taking detailed notes after every session about what happened. And you should train yourself to observe your players when you're running a game to see where they're actually enjoying themselves the most and which parts of the story they get most excited about and are most invested in. Because that is really the raw material that is going to be most effective for you when you're homebrewing things. The number one thing you want to do when you create anything for your game is to make it meaningful to your players. And then the last thing, just a concrete tip when you're creating anything, I call this my three things rule. Think of three things to describe it whether it is eye color, the way someone's hair whips around their face when they walk towards you, their stride. Think of three specific things that you can describe about an item, a creature, or a place, and that gives people enough to imagine it and fill in the gaps for themselves. Um, I've played with people who are brand new to this type of game, and they lose their minds when they realize that I'm saying something to them, and they imagine it. They're like, how does that work? Like, that you've had it all along. It's your imagination. Um, but yeah. Think of three things to, to describe anything that you're creating and it'll be successful at the table. I think um, I would I would obviously say if you're working on Dungeons and Dragons, like the official books give really good guidelines to here's what you need to do. Here's some like what. Yeah. And and you're not, as we've said, you're not held to that. But that's a good place if you really would like to get an idea. That's a good place to look at. I would also say check out other systems because you're going to get great ideas yeah. from those other systems. If you're making your own system, you don't want it to. You don't want to just be looking at Dungeons and Dragons. You want to look at other systems. If you're looking at other systems, you might and you're just playing Dungeons and Dragons. You might see a great rule that you're like, I want to bring that over to my D and D game. I want to bring the Jenga tower from Dread over and use it in the D and D game. I want to bring Sanity over from Cthulhu. I want to bring uh, the uh, light side, dark side points over from the Star Wars games. There's great rules that you can bring over to homebrew a rule. The other thing I would say is, I may have started the forums, and this is just going to be a, a shout out, but. I may have started the forums, but Neil is right now the king of uh, our our DMB forums. And the DMnastics over there really, like, Neil, you run a fantastic, like, show of, like, my goodness. I think everybody who joins in on those exercises gets better together. And it's just a friendly community that helps each other out. 
making homebrew content. So I have to say, if you want to start with homebrew content, Neil and the rest of the crew that are working on DMnastics, they can do a lot to help you out. Uh, agreed. I mean, and that is more people giving their ideas than me doing that much. That said, <laughs> my favorite part of that, though, is people that have not really listened to a lot of our podcast, but are still just like, oh, these are great, and then just keep doing them. <laughs> um, and you can follow us on Twitter we, where we post um, a daily diamnastic where you can um, check other people's ideas there. I think the other, the quick tip I would give for a tool for homebrewing is Unless it, unless you're working with a fairly small indie game, look to what third party people are doing. You know, so look to Kobold Press, who are, mm-hmm. are super successful with their Pathfinder and Five E material. So I mean, tech. I mean, th- they're homebrewing for money. I mean, I guess I mean that that is trivializing the amazing work <laughs> that they do. But that is the essence of it: is that they're homebrewing for money and that's awesome and you can like the tome of beasts like making a zombie different because it's from the swamp and has quote vomit leeches so there you go that's i mean that's the kind of the idea is to look at other people that are doing it there's you know a ton of different powered by the apocalypse games mm-hmm. i'll guarantee you there's a ton of third-party stuff for everything star wars so find what other people are doing um and I guess that's it. Just be a pirate. Just steal what you need. <laughs> All right. So let's start talking about playtesting because if you're homebrewing, playtesting is a big part about this. What are some thoughts on playtesting? Have you, TC, I'm assuming playtesting is something you, you're probably in the stages of doing. Oh, yeah. So yeah, what are your thoughts on playtesting? And like, how do you, what are some tips to playtesting and some advice to those who are going to be getting into playtesting their homebrew material? Yeah, so playtesting... Uh from where I sit right now is uh, a very rigorous process, right? Um, I'm playtesting a game that hopefully will go out to many people. Uh, we have over 500 testers right now who are all, they're in our Discord, they're giving me feedback over email. Uh, I've called some people on the phone to talk to mm-hmm. them. You know, there's a Google form where they're giving us feedback. I've basically said, throw all of your ideas at me as much as possible so I can have just absorbed your feedback. So at this scale, it's you know it's very much like a, a rigorous process because we're creating a product that has to go out to a lot of people. So I have to, you know, there there are specific criteria I'm looking for, types of feedback that I weigh against each other. Um, you know, things like balance and logic. You know, do are are rules in conflict with each other? Things like that. Um, but for most people, I think you're going to be doing kind of what I alluded to before, which is, you know, look at look at the faces of the people at the table, right? Like how are they reacting to the things that you're putting into the world? How are they reacting to each other? You know, you can't always anticipate how something is going to be used. So you have to observe carefully how it's being used and you have to be willing to change things if they're not working, right? Like let's say you give someone a completely overpowered item that makes them, that, that makes other players in the group feel less important or less able to do things you can change that right like uh let's let's say you give them uh an item that just does this insane amount of damage well the players don't know everything that you know about the things in the world right so over time you can have that weapon's ability diminish or uh you can unlock an additional secret about it at some pivotal moment that that creates um a trade-off right like maybe it becomes a sentient item or something that 
has a has a drawback that you unlock at a certain moment. There are ways that you can give yourself as the DM outs, right, with with things that you put in the world, um, so that you're not obligated, committed to have a mistake persist forever. Yeah, I mean, it it, it can also be as simple as like, man, you rolled a critical fail. Uh, and that sword just fell down a grate. Oh no, <laughs> like, it's tough. It's t- that's mean, and it's tough. But uh, you know, there there are ways that you can kind of take things back. But I would say that that's also less mean if, when you're going into a playtesting setting, that you are just straight up with the players at the beginning and say, "Hey guys, this is homebrew. Part of why we're doing this is for me to test out." how powerful things are, what doesn't work, what does work, Mm -hmm. and get the players on the page where they know, okay, we might be changing some things as we go along. Or something like like you were just saying, TC, like if we together, and it'd be great if you could play with a group of players who are all like all for that playtesting and together can be like, yeah, this item is, uh, this item is quite crazy. (laughs) Like so that you can have that crit one moment and everybody just goes, Makes sense. That sword was ridiculous. <laughs> um, <laughs> Tough, but fair. Yeah, being straight with the players, I think, right away. Yeah, especially if you're going to not just play a one-shot, but play, like, a campaign to play test something with. Just being straight up with them, I think, is a very important thing to start out, out with. Absolutely. O- honesty and openness is is key. I mean, uh, you know, the, the DM in any system, regard, I don't care what you're playing, the DM and the players are equals. They have different responsibilities, but they're partners in telling a story. Yes. And so the players need to feel like you are just as invested in their enjoy, enjoyment and fun as they are in making, you know, making the game something special. Um, so I think if you, you definitely if you go to it with that atmosphere or with that attitude rather than like, OK, I'm going to run a video game for you and I'm just going to mm-hmm. be the physics engine and you know <laughs> that's not the kind of relationship that you want to have with players you want to have something that's honest and open where mistakes can be forgiven and there's a little bit of flexibility and hopefully no hurt feelings if if something goes wrong but yeah i mean D D is just one big play test there's no uh, there, there's because of there's infinite possibility no game is alike you're testing something you're Im- improvising something every time you play try to put yourself in your player's shoes think about how they play, the kinds of things that they tend to do. If you have a player who's obsessed with min-maxing and all they want to do is like squeeze the highest percentile out of every situation, you should be putting yourself in their shoes and imagining how they're going to use something or how they're going to respond to something that you put in the world. And that should influence how you design that that item or how you... I mean, all of it's kind of interesting because with homebrew, sometimes you don't get playtesting. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why you're not being completely set on everything that you have written down like okay they killed this way 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 too easy he or she right the monster now has a hundred extra hit points (laughs) leave me alone uh the other place that is good or could be good are now this is a slow process but it would be play by post also the Fifth edition Facebook group is at like 123,000 now. I mean, oh, wow. if you want to find people to 
play or play test and being like you're like it was already mentioned open and honest that that's the purpose i think you could probably pretty easily find people that would be willing to you know, play test a scenario for you which is actually what i did for something i wrote i got some people together for a play-by-post and tested a monster i had and adapted and changed things based on its interaction with those players Another yeah, another good thing to do, uh, especially if you're playing a long-term campaign and you want to test, you want to have a session where you're explicitly testing things, is to do a prequel or a side story. Mm. Basically, just interrupt the campaign with a one-shot and say, "Hey, I actually did that." Uh, the the D and D campaign that I had been running with my friends that I created a world for, an entire world for D and D and characters, and we'd been playing for maybe two years, and then I created Quest and we decided to switch. And before we just did that, we 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 had a prequel where their characters and we played before our story began with the new system to just see if it worked, um, and they really liked it, so we switched. But if you want to if you want to truly test something that's radically different or that's different enough where it could cause problems in your story, just put the story on pause. Like don't don't give yourself don't make the stakes too high. Um, you know, take a break from your campaign do do something small and limited so that people are not feeling like you know the world's going to end if something goes wrong yeah and you kind of mentioned this uh before tc but i mean you mentioned also the the players and hopefully there aren't hurt feelings on the player side when you need to nerf something or get rid of something but there's the other aspect that needs to be discussed and it's been discussed a little bit but like as the creator of this homebrew content, you need to have two things. One, you need to be able to be able to take criticism. And honestly, if you're playtesting, you should be looking for constructive criticism so that you can work on. You might need to do a whole big change to something to make it work. But that's what playtesting is all about. I think you also want to make sure that you have not just like one person looking at it, but the more person you're looking at or playing uh, your homebrew material, the better of an idea you're going to get. Because maybe that one person who says this doesn't work, maybe there's six other people who says it does work or vice versa. One person says it works great because he's got that sword that kills with one hit. <laughs> and then <laughs> the rest of the people give you the feedback of that's that's just not fair. I think you need a, a good size group. If you're able to put out that your homebrew material for other people to play, that's a fantastic thing to do. In fact, if you're able to give that homebrew material to other DMs and GMs to run with, I think that's a great way to get feedback on your material as well. You need to be ready, though, for criticism. But I think the other thing is that you want to find people that are going to give you constructive criticism and also tell you when something works great and like, man, this is fantastic. Keep that. Don't change that. That's great from all sides. Uh, those, I think, are two really important aspects that you want to have there for playtesting. The end of every game that I play, and I'm actually think, considering building this as an official rule in Quest, um, I ask the players to name something that they really liked about that session and name something that they didn't like. Hmm. And the reward is that they actually get experience for participating in that conversation. So I, I, you definitely want to like give your players opportunities to give you those moments of like structured moments of feedback rather than having them worry about whether it's appropriate or not. Um, like uh, go to them and say, Hey, I'm open to taking criticism. I'm open to thinking about this as a shared experience and that, 
you know, letting them know, you know, accepting criticism is letting them know that you're equals and telling the story. I'm going to give you feedback right now and say, make that an official <laughs> rule. I love that idea. <laughs> That's fantastic. Yeah. So with all of that out of the way, we have one last question. The most important question, where can people go to find you on the internet? And all the cool things you're doing, TC. Cool. I am on Twitter at Chill Mage, C H I L L M A G E. You can find me there. Quest is currently on Kickstarter. Uh, it wraps up at the end of June, so please check it out. Uh, we're also on the web at www.adventure.game. Don't ask me how I got that domain. I don't know. <laughs> Luck. But yeah, we. It's like I said. It's it, you know we're hoping it's the role playing game for everyone. We especially want people who have never played a game like this to be able to get into it. We want people who are veterans to have something deep enough that they can enjoy as well. And hopefully, it's the game that they can finally get their reticent family and friends who have been resisting this kind of thing for years to get into. Um, but yeah, thanks a lot. I I really appreciate the uh, the conversation. This was a lot of fun. Uh, and good luck keeping your players alive. Well, we hope that you have enjoyed that episode. We want to thank TC again for joining us and talking about homebrewing content and giving just some advice and some tips for those of you who may be looking to start this or dive in deeper. Neil, if any of our listeners would like to send us an email, send us some maybe some tips that they have for homebrewing content, or maybe send us some homebrew content that they have created to look over, where can they reach us at? They can always email us at dungeonmasterblock at gmail.com and give us all of those ideas. And if you see fit and have enjoyed the show, definitely head on over to iTunes where you can leave us a five-star review that we'll read out on air. You can follow us on Twitter at DMS underscore block. That's at DMS underscore block. Or you can like our Facebook page, or you could do both of those things. They're both great places for updates about the show, memes, and just all-around D&D goodness. We have a Patreon member shout-out of the week, and this week's Patreon member shout-out goes to... William Johnstone! Thank you so much, William. William Johnstone, first of all, has a fantastic name. Second of all, William is a silver dragon. Awesome. And we hope that you are enjoying all of the rewards that you get for being a silver dragon with our patron. Thanks so much for your support. Yes. Thank you. As always, the dungeon masters block is a proud member of the block party podcast network where you can check out our other shows like dungeons and dragons and daughters, detentions and dragons, geek wars, and more. Well, that's all that we have for you today on this episode of the dungeon masters block, the place where we come together to talk about the dungeon master, the most important person in the game, the only person capable of playing God, killing characters, and lowering the egos of all their people at the table. I'm DM Neil. Good night. Good luck. And keep on dungeon mastering. Time to get a Darth Magikarp tattoo.
Goodbye.